Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. Three, two, one. Keeping dogs properly and responsibly. That is what we're trying to do. We can't do it anymore. I was so angry listening to him. A hundred euro is all we'll get, basically, for our baby. Between the jazz and Christmas, you know, you could slip in a bank holiday in, you know, late November, early December. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 no, you're all right, you're all right, you're all right. The, 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 those among you who know me for political geekery will have been expecting me to come launching into the programme, going through all the constituency changes. No, 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 no. I'll look at it later on. There's a bit of sense, actually, to what they've done in Cork. A bit of stuff that didn't make sense will now make sense, but that doesn't mean that, that everything is going to make sense. But I will, I promise, I will come back to it. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96, the number. The text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96, and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. How would you like it if your new guards were older? That's one of the interesting stories in the paper this morning. Looks like it's going to be agreed very soon too. The upper limit, the upper age limit for joining the guards is currently 35. And now it looks as if the upper age limit of the guards could be as high as 45, maybe even 50, if you have the right level of physical fitness. Um, It could change very, very soon. I'll come back to that. That's a fascinating story in in the papers this morning. But we can start by putting light to something that got it dominated us here at 96FM's opinion line for a period of a couple of months and it was over a few years as well. Every so often you'd get someone would send you a picture uh, taken at the back of the number three bus. And the number three always, or the two or three, always used to come in for this one. Uh, there's Larry Murphy on the bus. Somebody would snap a picture and send it in to you uh, by text or WhatsApp. And, and you say, oh, look, look at Larry Murphy. Larry Murphy is on the, the number three bus, or Larry Murphy is on the, the number two bus. Um, I don't think he was ever actually here. Uh, the notorious criminal. Larry Murphy. I don't believe he was ever actually here, but certainly you'd get an alert every now and then that he was here and that he was um, staying, yeah, staying with friends or.
couch surfing around Cork. That was that was another particular favourite of people who'd be watching out for Larry Murphy. And look, he's one of the most notorious criminals in the history of the state. I and mean, if you go through his rap sheet or his alleged rap sheet is worse than his actual rap sheet. He he was jailed for raping and attempting to murder a young woman in the year 2000 in the Wicklow Mountains. He'd be about 56, going on 57 now. He's a Wicklow man originally. He was jailed for 15 years back in 2010. He was jailed in 2000. He served 10. He served 10 years and he came out and he kind of hasn't been seen since. He's considered a very high-risk offender. He had to meet a guard at least once a month. He absconded to Spain, left and started living in Spain. Then he moved to Amsterdam. Any time that a bit of attention became focused upon him, he, he, he ran. And he was living in Spain in late May 2011. He was photographed in 2012 in Amsterdam. There was actually a documentary done uh, on well, it was TV3 at the time, Virgin Media now. He was living in South London in June 2014 and supposed to be working as a carpenter. And now Stephen Breen is reporting, crime editor is reporting in the Irish Sun today that he is living in London, but that he has changed his name and now lives under a new identity. Stephen joins me. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, PJ, well, Larry Murphy is back in the headlines again. The name Larry Murphy because it was the 25th anniversary of the disappearance of Deidre Jacob and Larry Murphy remains a person of interest in that ongoing investigation. But Larry Murphy is someone whose name still uh, uh, is very familiar with people across Ireland, but um, he hasn't been in Ireland um, since his release from custody in 2010. He spent time in Africa, he spent time in Holland, but he is in the UK at the moment. He has a a new relationship. He's working away, but he's now living under the name of uh, Charlie Doyle. So Larry Murphy uh, the name Larry Murphy uh, no longer exists in the UK. Hmm. In fact, he's done his utmost to try and live a normal life and keep under the radar. He's officially changed his name over there by Deed Paul, has he? That's correct, yes. So his name now is Charlie Murphy. Uh, Charlie, sorry, Charlie Doyle. Um, he was um, uh, interviewed by the Gardaí in 2018 who were uh, investigating the disappearance of Deidre Jacob. He invited the guards into his house and the UK police were there as well, but he didn't offer any information in relation to that uh, investigation. And the UK police then compiled a report uh, on Larry Murphy. They continue to monitor Larry Murphy as well. But uh, the, the UK police had indicated that he was someone who wanted to get away from his image in Ireland, from his background, from his past, and was now solely focused on, you know, reintegrating into society in the UK and not being involved with his family or friends back in Ireland. So he's keeping well out of the way. He's working in construction over there. Has he come to the attention of the authorities other than knowing who he is and where he is? 
No, not in the time since he's been there. We confronted him in 2013 in the UK when some local Irish residents had raised concerns um, about his uh, appearance and his uh, frequenting local pubs in the UK. They were obviously aware of his background because of the media coverage. But since then, um, he then moved from that area of North London where where he was staying. Uh, But he he hasn't come to the attention of the police over there. He continues to cooperate with the police because he is still monitored under the terms of his release conditions but hasn't come to their attention and isn't uh, the focus of any investigations in the Mm. UK at the moment. He doesn't associate I think with any Irish people either or many anyway. No, he, 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 the UK police believe that he, he did that on purpose where he wanted to keep away from the Irish community in London. He, he's now living in an area which is heavily integrated with people from all over the world. So he, he believes that you know he can integrate there and you know keep under the radar and no one will know who he is because there aren't too many people from Ireland living in the area where he, he now stays. So he's made that um, his mission, I suppose, to you know keep under the radar there and to keep away from his past and, and hopefully just continue to work in, in London and build a life for himself. He was considered by experts, Stephen, to be very dangerous. Is that still the case, do we know? Absolutely. I mean, I think when um, when he was being released in 2010, you know, we, we were told that he didn't engage in any kind of uh, therapy or any kind of uh, courses within uh, the prison when he was he was serving time for the rape and the abduction of, of that woman in County Cardo. Uh, but he and a psychologist said that they had concerns that he, he could reoffend uh, just because of the nature of his personality and because of the, the his propensity for violence and his, his animosity towards women as well mm-hmm. so um, that, that was still a major concern but in during sorry during his time in England that hasn't happened that and hasn't he, happened. he hasn't become a suspect in any cases of violence used against women He remains a suspect in the Deirdre Jacob case I think but the DPP hasn't been able to put a charge together Yes, uh, he, he remained a, a person of interest over the years saying that that uh, investigation was reclassified as a murder in 2018. Larry Murphy was in the frame for that because he was working in Kildare at the time. Um, his modus operandi as well was to uh, abduct a, a woman, bring them to an isolated spot and then you know, uh, abuse them and use violence towards them. Um, they had concerns that this is what may have happened to Deirdre Jacob but also you had two prisoners who served time with Larry Murphy hmm. also coming forward as well and making statements against him but the DPP ruled that uh, that just wasn't enough in the absence of a body being found to bring any charges against him. Yeah. Finally, at a, for a while Stephen, in I think around 2015-2016 we were getting photographs in here oh, Larry Murphy's on a bus in Cork Larry Murphy is couch surfing in Cork there's no evidence now that Larry Murphy ever did live in Cork, is there? Absolutely not, PJ. I think that's just rumours going into overdrive where um, people had suggested that he had come back to Ireland and he was uh, living in Cork. That is completely untrue where he has stayed in the UK. He has a job there. He has a home there. He has, he's in a new relationship at the moment and his whole purpose now is to keep away from Ireland and to leave his past behind him because he does know that people you know, are, are very aware of his background in Ireland, more so in, in the UK where you know, he's living among millions of people. So there's definitely no truth to that assertion whatsoever that he was back in Ireland at any time. I think people will will breathe a sigh of relief at that. Stephen, thank you very much. Thank you, PJ. Cheers, cheers. Uh, Stephen Breen, Prime Editor of the Irish Sun, who has kind of made it part of his life's work anyway in the last number of years to keep an eye on where Larry Murphy is. I do remember it like it was yesterday, people sending us in pictures. I remember someone who was in...
Turner's Cross and Evergreen Road there was walking and there was a bus headed down towards Turner's Cross and this person was convinced that who they'd seen sitting in the back seat of the bus was Larry Murphy. And when we, we put them on the air, they were utterly, totally, completely convinced. And then we got another call from Balifahan to say that a person had seen him there and that he was couch surfing. And then a third call came from up around Churchfield area to say, ah, yeah, he's got an old pal up here that he stays with from time to time. None of it was true. None of it was ever true. At the time, we were accused of scaremongering, but the pictures were a good likeness. Were a very good likeness. But it's like to, it's nice to know, it's, uh, it's somewhat comforting to know that, no, this notorious character was never living among us here in the city by the Lee. He did time for that one case against the woman in Carlo in the year 2000. Um, kidnapped her, locked her into the boot of his car, drove her into the mountains, he beat her, he raped her, he locked her in the boot again and she put her through an awful ordeal. He is suspected of having done it to many more, but only ever convicted of that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Right, um, just go through this. It came out at eight o'clock. It was released like lotto numbers. We knew it was coming out yesterday. All of us press who are somewhat interested in politics got a a kind of a teaser where they sent us a link to the website and you went to the website yesterday and you opened it up and there's a blank page it wasn't released yet like it's where they were giving away tickets to the, the Ryder Cup or something or the, the Rugby World Cup the way, they were, the way they were holding on to these constituency boundary changes until 8 o'clock this morning so they've come out and Cork will have two extra TDs in the next dial there'll be 14 extra TDs overall up and down the country now, I could have predicted this. Both Cork North Central and Cork South Central will go back to four seats, or to five seats, rather. They'll go back to being five-seaters. They were always five-seaters. Then they were cut to four seats, and now they're back up to five seats. But here's the thing. When Cork South Central was cut to four seats, Ballincollig went over into Cork North West. Now they've gone and taken Ballincollig, which is a much bigger place even now than it was then, and they've plonked that into Cork North Central. So if you're listening to me in Ballincollig this morning, and you've been voting there all your life, you've gone from Cork South Central to Cork North West to Cork North Central is where you'll vote next time out. That's Ballincollig. Now Bishopstown was also plonked into North Central, and that caused a lot of problems, particularly, I think, for Jerry Bottomer, because a huge amount of his vote got transferred up to North Central. Jerry will be very pleased to learn this morning that Bishop Bishopstown, at the next election, will come back into Cork South Central. Now, Bishopstown has no place in Cork North Central, so it's back in Cork South Central. And then there's a load of places on the south side of the city are in North Central. I'm thinking, for example, in particular of one that's in the news at the moment, Noonan's Road. Noonan's like, what on earth put Noonan's Road into Cork North Central? It'll be back in South Central next time out. Um, so if you're kind of in that Barrack Street, sort of Glashini, Bishopstowny area, and you've been in North Central for the last few elections, you'll be coming back into South Central. 
for the next one. If you're in Ballincollig, you'll be Cork North Central. Um, Cork East, they won't be happy there. I can see some of the TDs who rely on Mallow for their votes. They won't be too happy because parts of North East is also coming into Cork North Central. Look, it's all very geographic. It's all down to maths. It's all down to the Constitution. But those are the big stories. Cork North Central, Cork South Central, back to five-seaters next time. Cork East will stay a four-seater, but parts of Mallow will be gone out of it. Cork Southwest will stay a three-seater, but Ballincollig has gone out of it. Uh, I'm sorry, but Cork Northwest will lose loses Ballincollig, and Cork Southwest is pretty much unchanged. If you care. If you care, you can actually look the whole lot up, and there's a big, long report, and all those details, and maps, and statistics. But that's the story, anyway. That's the story. I think the big one is Ballincollig in Cork North Central. And Bishopstown back into South Central. That's probably the biggest one. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. And again, I have to ask the question: Do you even care? <laughs> I just wanted to talk about it for a few minutes. That that's that's me. Like. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox ninety six FM. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The Big Splash for Aware takes place on Saturday the 23rd of September. Join people all over Cork and take a dip at your favourite swim spot to support mental health. Register today at aware.ie forward slash splash and receive your exclusive swimming hat to proudly demonstrate your support on the day. Please remember to swim safely. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.com. Yeah, I should have mentioned that the back of my conversation with Stephen Breen about Larry Murphy. Um, there are those people um, who would be triggered by mention of someone as notorious as Murphy. So if if that is you and you feel you need to talk to somebody, then you can call the Sexual Violence Centre at 1-800-496-496 or you can text them 087-15-33393 or indeed you can email info, info at sexualviolence.ie because for some people that content is upsetting and I appreciate that. 0818 I've interviewed Caroline Murphy of West Cork Eggs many times. She runs a fine business down there and she's been involved with women in business and Network Cork and all those things for many a long day and we've had many a good conversation about it. I also spoke to Caroline once or twice about the Mass of the Angels. She was involved in the organisation of the Mass of the Angels and in your own past, Caroline, is a story of loss uh, and I didn't know the details of that story until until recently. You spoke to a podcast about it, and I'm happy to say that you've you've come on this morning uh, to chat to me. Uh, this this is the story which many of us didn't know, but it's the story of of baby Leah. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's sometimes it's hard to believe it's that long ago, um, and sometimes it seems like a lifetime ago because it was. But it's something that you never ever forget. Um, you carry it better 
the grief is always there, but it's not as overwhelming or as all-consuming as it once was, kind of thing. But um, I can still get upset when I when I think of it and I talk about it sometimes, and other times I don't, and that's fine too. Um, you know, very often maybe a song on the radio might get you, or maybe a storyline or a piece of it could be anything. Um, just being somewhere and she'll just pop into her head, even you know, fourteen years on, still think of her every day. She's still very much the our angel in the house. If we're looking for anything, it's Leah, God, find the keys for me. And she always comes up trumps. And and she's very much part of our house, um, which is very special to us because she was part of our family and is part of our family. And it's right to speak her name. And I think I learned all that time ago that it's hugely important to speak of our child's name, even though they're no longer with us, they're still part of the family and, and that's how we keep them alive. Like any person in the family, by talking about them, by saying their name, by by acknowledging them. Um, because long ago, these the our baby wouldn't have been acknowledged or recognised and that must have just been heartbreaking. Can I ask you to go through what happened? Um, yeah, so she was my fourth pregnancy, um, I kind of thought I had it, you know, I had this pregnancy thing down to a T. I was always very healthy in pregnancy. I, you know, it suited me. I always felt very well. Um, and with her, I didn't really. Now that, you know, there was a lot going on at the time. There's probably a lot of stress, um, building a house, dealing with banks, all that kind of stuff. And one day then I kind of suffered pregnancy symptoms, swollen ankles, real great tiredness, actually. I remember how it was doing the shopping and I had to just stop and sit. Stuff on their own, which are all quite normal pregnancy symptoms, but for me, there hadn't been normal symptoms. Anyway, we just said it'd be best to to, to get her checked out. And I went to the doctors. I'll start crying now, Peter. I went to the doctors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how far along were you? 27 weeks. So... Um, there was no heartbeat. Um, so I rang my husband and said, uh, we need to go to CUMH. There's no heartbeat. And I remember on the journey up, it was still, we just couldn't believe it. You know, the thing in the doctors wasn't working properly or the baby was turned funny and, you know, it would all be all right once we got there. Um, and got there, we did. And I must say the treatment we received from CUMH from start to finish was just outstanding. Um, their kindness, their professionalism, their attention was just, for me, it was just outstanding. So anyway, we went into this little room and she scanned and there was nothing. And they said, I'm sorry, your baby's gone. <laughs> sorry, Peter. It's all right. You just go back to that room and you go back to being there. And because I was 27 weeks, I had to um, give birth. So they gave me the choice to come home and go back up. And I said no. And my husband did have to come home and he had to tell family. He had to try and explain it. We had three kids at the time. He had to try and explain it to them. And he had to try and get his head around it as well. So very often, sometimes in situations like this, dads can be forgotten. Um, But he was the only other one that knew what it was like. We'd lost our daughter. Um, And we grieved in different ways. But he was my strength that time because... Very often people think it's, a, you know, it's it's just the mother. It's not. Um, so anyway, they induced me and 
you go through your whole labour thing. Uh, and one of the funny things, it, it's even like, because you're just in a complete state of shock. You don't understand. Um, I was angry. I was like, why? I was so devastated. Uh, why was a big thing? Do you know, why us? Why me? Why our baby? And then afterwards, I remember someone saying, you know, well, why not you? Um, and that was kind of tough to take, but very, very true. You know, there was no reason why Leah didn't survive. There was no condition. There was no um, any medical thing like that. Um, and it, it was just kind of, unfortunately, one of those things. And it was only really, I suppose, until now, it took a long time, don't get me wrong, but until I kind of accepted that sometimes things just happen, we have no control, we don't know why, we don't know the reason, that I could actually kind of start to, to move on. But anyway, give birth I did, and it was obviously very different from my other three kids, um, and it's very different even in in the maternity ward, you know, because normally... It's a time of great joy, great um, excitement. Um, it's it's noisy. And this time there was just nothing. There was no noise. There was no baby crying. Um, there was none of that. It sounds to me, and I perceive it as an impossibly wrong, it sounds like an awful, cruel way to have to do it. Oh, yeah. I've never... Um, because I so desperately wanted to to meet her, to see her, even, you know, maybe they've got it wrong, maybe there's going to be a miracle. Um, and I knew what it was like. And, and you know, I've often thought of, of, of mothers who's had this to happen to them before, on their first baby. And, and, and you know, it, it, it's all so much shock. And it's as if even your own body is working against you because it still thinks it's pregnant. So you will still go through um, birth, You will st- your milk will come in, you go through all those bodily changes, even though there's no baby. And there were so many learnings there. Do you know what I mean? We did things that I've never knew how to do, you know, buy a grave, choose a coffin, uh, you know, they don't, we had a service, but you don't, at that time, I don't know if it's changed now, you don't have a funeral because in order to be f- buried in sense, you have to um, be baptised, which mm. of course you can't be baptised if you're not alive. Do you know what I mean? All these silly, silly things um, go that you have to, and yet you're in complete shock. You haven't even um, comprehended what's ahead of you. Um, and I didn't comprehend for a long, long time. It sounds like being strapped into a horrible roller coaster that mm. won't stop. No, yeah, you just, you just, and and it, the emotions, because of course your hormones have gone flying. Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. You've been hit with this devastation news. Your body is given birth, so all that 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 kind of biological side of it is still there, and and it just couldn't get it. And 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 I, I've met parents since that have been in the same situation. And it's just that disbelief. It's 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 the utter devastation and heartbreak because there is nothing more precious in life than having a baby. And that it's such a special gift. And yet sometimes we still just take it for granted. Perhaps I possibly did. You know, it was pregnancy number four with three other small kids. You're getting on with life. You're doing it. And then... 
I got stopped in my tracks. Mm-hmm. And now we were very lucky. We had huge support. We have very good family, superb network of friends kind of thing. And, and they were there for us. Um, and it was funny, people who you sometimes would think they would be there for you weren't. And then other people came out who probably wouldn't have registered on my radar, but with such kindness and such compassion um, that they kind of made up for the people that would walk across the road to avoid you. I'll come back to that in, in a minute. Um, yeah. But but just yourself, you, you're a business person. And in business, every question must have an answer. You still don't know to this very day what happened to Leah. How do you live with not knowing that answer or do you have to be okay with it? You have to be okay with it. You just, until I kind of accepted that there was no reason, like I said, there was no condition, there was no medical thing there. It was just, as they say, one of those things. Now, I can say that now but at the time I couldn't and I remember at the time people would tell me I had an angel in heaven and I thought sometimes I'm going to get a pot and smack him over the head because I didn't want an angel in heaven I wanted my daughter and then other days you take comfort from thinking okay great I've got an angel in heaven and it's very difficult I think and possibly with grief of all kinds to help sometimes someone who is grieving so terribly because Whatever you say, you could just be choosing the wrong word or the wrong day to say it, and tomorrow it might be okay to say that. So what I've learned to say is I don't know what to say, but yeah. I'm so sorry for the way you are. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to have the right words necessarily. You don't have to have the answers because sometimes there just isn't any answers. And, and, and look, you look at all the tragedies that happen in the world. There are just no answers or reasons why these things happen. But just to feel the support and compassion. You brought me right back actually to where I was going and that is, you say, there were people who crossed the road. There are no words that are going to fix anything. There are no words that are going to make anything okay. Uh So a lot of people will just not do anything. The thing is, there's a difference between not doing anything I suppose, and not being there. Mm. Um, And I think for us, certainly at the time, and and again, you're going back 14 years, things were different. Failicon are a wonderful charity that help families that have lost children through stillbirth and neonatal death, but they weren't there the time we lost Leah. They came into being afterwards kind of thing. So there is more support. And, and 14 years ago, it was still very much an unspoken thing. I don't think it, I don't know how freely it's spoken about now. It's probably better. But just, you don't, as I said, you don't have to have the answers. You don't have to have the right words. Sometimes you just need somebody to sit there, hold your hand or make you a cup of tea and just let them be because... And if they want to talk, let them talk. And if they want to watch telly, just let them watch telly. Everybody, what I've learned, this is only my learnings again, PJ, is mm. that everybody's journey is different. My journey was different to my husband's journey, which would have been and different again to, say, my parents' journey or to, for my friends who watch us go through that. But everybody, a bit like life in general, do you know what I mean? But everybody has to do it at their own time, their own space, and in their own way to a point. And all we can do as somebody who loves that person is to be there to support them, to say, we're here. Can I do anything? 
or do you just want me to be with you? Or do you not want me to be with you? And I'll come back in an hour's time. It's very, very difficult to navigate because grief is so overwhelming, yeah. can be so devastating. And none of us, you know, you're not taught, yeah, you've got seven stages of grief, but until you're in it, you don't know really how you're going to react. And, you know, the grief never goes away. It starts off as something that's overwhelming and insurmountable and stuff like that. But over time, you, you know, you learn to carry it better. And it, it's a much, much smaller thing that I carry now. And, and life is good. Look, I started the business in the time after that we lost lost Leah. Um, that's taken me into a direction and into places that I never thought I would go. There is a kind of pre-Leah and post-Leah. Mm. Um, the experience has, has taught me so much as well that I am resilient. Do you know what I mean? Um, if I got through that, there really isn't much else that I can't get through. I'm not going to say it's be, it would be easy, but I know that I have that inner strength to get through um things never stayed the same things will always change um we have to help ourselves i've learned a lot about myself in the years since we've lost her um i'm glad to say we had another daughter as well she was born a year and a week to the day after we lost leah so that was a very positive time in our life we have four great kids now we're still married. <laughs> We're still here. We're working. And, and, li- and life is good. We, n- we never forget her, like I said. But she has taught me so, so much and set me off on a journey that quite possibly I would never have gone on if she had survived. Isn't that interesting? And to people who are in a similar position, um, who, who cannot believe, like they might be listening to this and they might say how does she find the strength to put two legs under her in the morning I I think what you're very clearly saying is there are mornings when you didn't have that and that's okay oh absolutely yeah you know I didn't have it Um, and look that's normal especially in times because sometimes you know sometimes you just don't want to do the day either (laughs) do you know what I mean but at the time I genuinely thought I'd never get out of the bed. I didn't think I would genuinely laugh again or have a good time without feeling guilty as well. There's a lot of, I remember at the time afterwards, people would say, how many kids have you got? And did I say four or did I say three? Before our, our last daughter was born, you know, if I said three, was I denying Leah? If I said four, people would go, well, you've only got three with you. Where's the other one? So there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, and I wouldn't have said myself that, you know, I don't think I found the strength. I just took it very slowly and did what I could and didn't beat myself up, although sometimes I possibly did, but stopped beating myself up for the days when I didn't get as much done as I would have liked. And tomorrow is always another day and tomorrow is always a fresh start. And sometimes by taking it step by step by step, you will, you will, absolutely, I know you will get there. I'm no different to any of the other mothers that are on the fourth floor in CUMH or that are grieving at the moment or anybody. We're all, I'm absolutely the same as anybody else. But I just, you just have to say, you know, that I have to do this, whether for yourself, for your family, for those that love you, but mainly as well, really, Peter, for yourself, because everybody should live the life that they want to live, not the life that they 
think they should live or they you know think that's all they can do there is support out there there is help out there and if you need it go and find it i got so much support failure was huge like i said they came after us but being involved with other parents in the same situation that's another thing you're not on your own you know you're not the first it feels like it but you're not the first person to have gone through this and unfortunately you won't be the last either so talk to people communication is huge um in trying to resolve um, or to get past places where you're at. So whether it's, you know, communicating with a grief counselor, communicating with friends, um, you know, in business as well very much, you know, you get support from um, other people in business because somebody has always been through this before you and they can help you or at least share their experiences with you of how they've got through it. So you can take from that what will work for you and maybe find your own way through then. But don't give up, I suppose, is, is, is the biggest thing. Do not give up hope. Lastly, there's a, a lovely piece on your LinkedIn. I've never seen it before. It's not that grief shrinks over time it's that you grow around it give me a minute on before we finish up it's true do you know my heart isn't any less broken because she's not here it is absolutely but I owe it to her I owe it to myself I owe it to my other children I owe it to those around me to to be the best version of Caroline that I can be to be the best mum to the other kids and I don't always get it right I'm sure they'll tell you that if you ask them do you know what I mean I don't always get it right but I will always keep trying I will never forget her and I love her with all my heart but there's a reason why I'm here and I'm always very proud to be her mum. And she will always be huge because she has helped me become the person that I am. And I will always be grateful to her for that. Caroline, great talking to you. Sorry that you got upset, but thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, thank you too, PJ. And thanks for listening to my story. Oh, God, what a story. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Caroline. Um that story would have struck a lot of hearts, I know. And I'm a huge admirer of the work of Fela Khan. If you need to talk to someone, if Caroline's story has awakened a memory um, in you that you need to talk to someone, then Fela Khan are at 085 249 this is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Big Drive Home with Izzy Showbizzy. On Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Izzy Showbizzy. And I'm coming to The Big Drive Home on Cork's 96 FM. Join me next Monday from 4 for the best music mix all the showbiz and the latest traffic. Plus, you pick the playlist on the takeover each night from 7. Join me next Monday from 4. The Big Drive Home. You can drive me home. With Izzy Showbizzy. Cork's 96 FM. 96 FM. Comments in response to, to Caroline. Her story would, would take your breath away, wouldn't it? And she's so good at telling it. Um... There isn't a name with this, or if there was, they've asked us not to use it, and happy to to uh, to hold back your name. Years ago, I lost twins. I was five months gone. 
so sorry to hear that. I was told they died at nine weeks. The explanation I was given was it was God's way of help. And that there would have been something wrong with them. But sure, there isn't a day goes by when I think of them. Please don't call out my name. Whoever said to you, Asher, that was God's way. There'd have been something wrong with them. I really hope that wasn't someone claiming to be a medical professional. You don't give your name, but that was an awful thing to say. An awful thing to say. This crap about, oh, that's God's way. No, sorry. Never bought that, never will. Another message here. Remarks can cause a lot of pain after the loss of a baby. I came across all different types of people. What I did learn was that no matter what way people say something, accept it. Because you learn it's only when it happens to someone that they realize what it's like. It's great that all these people are talking now. A lady like that gave back something to me that I never even knew I lost. That's a very deep, deep line. Again, there's no name on that and I can understand why you wouldn't want to give your name. So listening to Caroline, this your your... Your number ends in 214. So listening to Caroline, that's very profound. It's just after striking me here now. Listening to Caroline's story, listening to Caroline gave you back something that you never even knew you lost. Well, if we've done nothing today on the show, we've done that. And I'm delighted, delighted. And then Anne says, that's not her real name, I lost my baby many years ago, so I got onto the medical records office via the maternity hospital in CUH. You're entitled to your records, and there might be a lot of information there. Thanks for that. That's a very profound line. Listening to Caroline gave me back something I didn't even knew I lost. We'll podcast Caroline's interview uh, after the show. To something completely different now. Grace has gotten on to us. Grace, you went to see Dermot Kennedy in London uh, and you just want to get on to us because you were a bit concerned about the information you got prior to the event from from Ticketmaster. Um, It's an unusual query. Happy to to let you voice it. But but first of all, was it a good gig, Dermot Kennedy in London? Morning. Um, it was great. It was great. It wasn't really for myself. It was more for my daughter. Yes. Uh, she'll be uh, 13 next month. Um, we actually couldn't see him in uh, Limerick or in Dublin when he was playing in July. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we decided London. Okay. And you decided to fly in and fly out on the same day. That's where the problem well, started. That's the exactly. You see, before actually I booked the uh, ticket on uh, Ticketmaster, I was checking a few times, like, the concert, 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock. I said, well, that's brilliant. So we got the tickets uh, for 2 o'clock for a concert for Dermot Kennedy. And uh, I was um, thinking, like, two hours, um, whoever would play, whoever would open it, the concert it will play like let's say for two hours and then Dermot will be on the stage I said four hours absolutely five max that's all yeah. over we can get back to Cork so you'd be you thought okay two o'clock gig yeah. then you'd be probably done by six 
or yeah, maybe seven, and then to the airport. So you booked the you booked the last flight back that night. Yes. You went out with you went out with Ryanair and came back with Aer Lingus, and the last yes. flight back is twenty five past ten with Aer Lingus at night. Exactly, so exactly, you, you know that perfectly. You thought you'd have loads of time, but you didn't. Yeah, and you see, just taking everything in consideration, you know, the the uh, hotels and everything. I said, well, we should be able to make it. We should be able to make it. Mm. You know, four or five hours for a concert. It's a, I say it's a plenty of time. We should be able to make it. Mm. Unfortunately, you know, when you just a few days before a concert, you're getting the email and you need to download the app. You get the running order for the concert. Yeah, like you know, like the the to you know, obviously the tickets to scan them because yes. the email is not an app. Yes, and then when I actually opened this app, I I was checking it. Dermot won't play early. He he'll be playing at roughly half eight, quarter to nine. Yes. Uh, well, I was very disappointed and. Um, I've, um, the first thing I've done it, I was actually checking a few times. Well, before even, I, I should mention that as well, before even I booked the flight, I was not aware that it's a music uh, festival, and which was great, like, to, to be fair, like, it was a great experience, but at the same time, it wasn't matching what I was looking for. You thought that Dermot Kennedy would be on and off stage well exactly. in, in good time for you to get to the airport, get your flight back. And exactly. You, and you only found out that wouldn't be the case a couple of days before the concert. Exactly. When you had exactly. flight booked. So what did you do then? Well, I, the first thing, I actually wrote the email to you. I was checking, first of all, I tried to uh, contact Ticketmaster, but... You, you can't, you can't. All you, you were getting was this chatbot, this... Exactly, yeah. that's, that's, that, that was... Um, Tr- trying to talk to I, a human being was nearly impossible. Exactly, yeah, I couldn't do that, so I, I, got, I, got, I got more frustrated. I wrote the email, I think, that just to, to give my, uh, you know, my, my anger out, and then I said, I, what you have to do, just rebook the flight. Mm. So first of all, I was checking. I like I've never done that before because, uh, like all my friends, when they were they were saying like um, probably it's cheaper to get a new new uh, flight, new, new tickets rather than rebook it. But I'll try it, and the price wasn't as bad, and uh, I was able to rebook them with reason. I say just reasonable price. Good, and, and then you had to find a room, of course. Of course, yeah, that was the next thing. I've, uh, but I, I, I just, um, it cost me more. And to be fair, if I knew that early, I could book the hotel, I could book the, yeah. you know, a proper flight and just saving a little, at least a little bit, like, you know. I think the real purpose of your message, though, Grace, is would Ticketmaster or people like that, would they just let you know at the time you're booking your tickets? what time Dermot or whoever is supposed to be on stage rather than two or three days before. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Exactly. That should be stated. You can actually plan your day better. Like, I... You see, that's, that's, that's my first worst experience with them, really. Grace, we'll leave it at that. Maybe Ticketmaster will take it on board, but thank you.
Thank you very much, Peter. It's, uh, I know you have uh, more important things at the moment, the, the school starting and the issue once on, uh, I was listening, coming from the airport. But that one, it's a part of our it's, life as well. It's important to you, which means it's important to us. Grace, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Peter. Thanks, thanks, Grace. Yeah, look, there's a lot heavier things in the morning news and just another horrible crash, for example, in, in County Tipperary last night. It's, it's unthinkable. Three people, grandparents and a grandson and uh, the little boy's parents who were in the front seats of the car, they're very seriously ill. And the other story, that they, and but look, Grace, if and this is a, an important thing. If you're ever thinking, do you know, does PJ want to hear about it? Does PJ do PJ's listeners care? If it bothers you, it bothers us. If it bothers us, it bothers listeners. If it's something that's on your mind and you want to share it, then then please do. Any way you like. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six or the best way particularly if we're off the air, is opinion at 96fm.ie. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Fox 96FM. I did make a promise not to overdo it on the, the constituency changes, but I am after spotting St. Barry's report there at 10. Um, there's one TD is going to be very unhappy with the way this has been redrawn. There's always one. Back in the time when uh, Ballincollig went into Cork Northwest, I remember Bat O'Keefe was less than happy with that, former Minister for Education. He was fierce unhappy about that. There's always one when when Bishopstown went into North Central. Jerry Buttimer was very unhappy about that at the time. There's one TD will not be at all pleased about these boundary redrawals. I'll have a look at the map and I'll come back to it again. But I, forgive me, I'm a geek. Forgive me, forgive me. Good morning to the Land of Wonder Down Under. To Colm O'Donovan, who's gotten in touch with us to say he's one of a bunch of Aussies. Well, technically they're Colombians, Hungarians, Filipinos and Irish people down under who listen regularly to Cork's 96 FM. It's evening time there and they listen in the evenings and into the night. So, um, so thanks for listening, lads. A shout out to PJ for getting up so early. <laughs> I know, thanks Michael O'Donovan from Kinsale is an avid listener who's lived here for a few decades now so give Colin Colum, Andres Alejandra and Nathan a shout out, I hope that um, I've got the pronunciations correct Colum, Andres Alejandra and Nathan listening in the evening time in Australia and isn't it coming into the isn't it coming into spring now or late winter in Australia? The weather's starting to pick up. Thanks for listening, lads, and uh, thank you so much for the message. And should you ever wish to take part in any of our discussions, well, WhatsApp is free from anywhere in the world. Give us a call. 0818 96 96 96. Now, one item that will certainly be an election issue the next time we go to the polls, be it local or 
general. Local, of course, will be 1st May of 2024. Is student accommodation and the lack thereof. Yamasha Costa wrote a good piece in the Examiner in the last couple of days where she addressed the issue of people coming in to UCC in particular trying to find a place to live. 3,900 first-year students are expected in this year. And by the way, it's a couple of hours now till they release the CAO offers. The best of luck to everybody who's waiting on one. Remember, if you don't get your first offer today, if you don't get your first choice today, hang in there. If you do get an offer, you have about a week to accept or not. Two o'clock today, the first offers drop. So the very best of luck to anybody who's waiting on one. The UCC Students' Union is working very hard, according to a Masher's article, with students, incoming students, and also with students who've been in the college for a couple of years, but they too are feeling very squeezed by the accommodation crisis. One of them is Brian O'Kane. Now, Brian, you're in your 20s. You're, you're a master's law student, I think. Now, your commute is from Tower, but by the time you get in here and get sorted, you'd be travelling, what, nearly nearly three or four hours a day. Good morning to you. Oh, hi, uh, thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, so I'm only after finishing my undergraduate in law there, and I'll be starting a master's now um, just to get ready to be kind of a lawyer. Um, but the problem is, because of public transport, to get from my house to the bus stop, from the bus stop to Cork City, and then walk from the city to UCC, it takes about like an hour and 20 minutes. Mm. And then to return for either for work or for just UCC, it does end up being like a three-hour round trip. Yeah, like so, you're, you're in tower. So, now, that's, I know Blarney is very well served these days by the buses, mm-hmm. but you have to get to Blarney, get the bus, get to town, then get up to UCC. So what, an hour, an hour and 20? And if you were going to work, because you, you're working at the same time, you were working. You'd be looking even more. Yeah, I'd be working. Yeah, I would have been working twenty or thirty hours last year, and it was absolutely well. You know, it was absolutely exhausting trying to get everywhere and back. Three hour extra days to Wilton, um, and you'd be shattered. And um, I was actually sick for two months because I was constantly out in the cold, um, waiting on buses that just didn't come. So it, it was brutal. I rescheduled my exams for summer, um, for winter. I had to reschedule two exams because I was literally too sick to sit them. That's burnout. So it's absolutely right? desperate. That's burnout. So. That's burnout. No, you're, it, it, you're only 22. I suppose it was burnout too, yeah. yeah. But it was mainly, I think, the the, the vicious weather at the time. November yeah. was cold last it year. It was very cold, <laughs> yeah. Now, you're trying to get a place to stay starting in, in the next couple of weeks. You, you've run into trouble. Now, digs are coming back. I know people are going back into digs, mm. but uh, I had a great friend who did almost his entire UCC career back in the 80s and he stayed in digs and remained friends with, with the lady he stayed with for many, many years. But but digs aren't easy to find and if you can find them, the terms and conditions can be a bit odd. Yeah, so I think the issue is with digs are completely unregulated. Um, pretty much anyone can host digs. Um, with, like It could be anyone like at all coming in, targeting young people. It could be any kind of person with any kind of restrictions. So for me, I was referred to someone um, just because they were putting up a property and it was local, it was going to be a great spot. And it was going to be over 500 euros a month. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be a person, I was living with their son. And I never met the son and they were going to charge the same rate of the same property across the road you could probably get if you ended up getting the house. So it's not like digs are that much cheaper anymore. One assumes you had a room of your own here, yeah? You'd have a room of your own, but at any random point, the parents of the the son would come home and I'd be expected to just leave and find my own way home. And I'd be working 
over the weekends, I'd be working on the weekdays. So having no idea when someone's going to arrive. You'd be staying in someone's house and paying them yep. for the privilege. And then every so often, your landlord, such to speak, could say, listen, my parents yes. are coming home for the weekend. I need the room. Yeah, and what's worse is I I said, look, if I'm going to be living with your son, could I get his contact at all, um, if that's possible, just so I can meet him and see what it's going to be like? And they said, I really don't see how that's any of your business. And then they just never contacted me, contacted me back for a viewing even. So even the scummiest places, they still have, like you're still begging them for these terrible accommodations that are being charged the same price, like 500 euros a month. This is like the dregs. Um, you know, it's not like we're asking for luxury spa treatments in our housing. We're looking for no, moldy houses at College Road. No, and that's still the price you're getting. No, but I remember when my friend was in Diggs. Um, now, it is quite a long time ago, to the 80s. But I could come and visit. His landlady knew me well. I could come and visit and go see him in his room. We could study together if we were of a mind to do so. Um, but no, there was none of that. You, you couldn't have any visitors. Could you? I could have occasional visitors in one room and occasional was bold underlined. So I imagined it was going to be perhaps at Christmas I could have a friend once and no visitors upstairs ever. So it felt a bit, you know, 1984 like that or accommodation system is either pay a thousand euros. It wasn't that bad, Brian, in 1984. I can tell you that for now. So you abandoned that plan. Yeah. I didn't even abandon it. They wouldn't even. I asked them if I could speak to the, the resident, and they just never got back to me. They refused. They were like, "How dare you even ask?" I see. I see. So, so. what are you faced with now? Are you, is the commute looking almost inevitable? The commute is looking unbearable at the moment. I've actually uh, taken holidays off my work, which I booked when I figured out I was going to be uh, evicted. So I'm actually not even going to be working or taking college for the next two weeks and um, I know the students union is looking at getting us online college as much as possible so if possible I will I will literally not even go to college this year I'll try to do everything online right. um, but ideally we get accommodation and have the actual college experience you're paying 7,000 for wow. So you, you could actually do, it's a, you could do an awful lot of your master's work remotely but then again why, why should you, you know why should you? To be fair I'm hoping I can do it remotely. There's been no guarantees by the university in really any campus, unless you're doing a specifically online course. We're hoping they can make it available, but it's up to the whim of the lecturer. And last year for me in undergrad, we were told randomly, oh no, that's not going to be recorded sometimes. So if you were living abroad, you might be unexpectedly expected to be on campus. So it's not feasible for you to go online fully. Okay, so look, you're a 22-year-old master's student in law you're working and going to college at the same time you are looking for you're looking for either digs or or a small place city or suburbs brian oh anywhere like i'll take the streets if it was nice enough uh, anywhere at all yeah and is it digs you would be interested in or do you want something more than that like, to be honest, I've not heard any single person with a good experience with digs, really. Like, yeah. last year we had um, the welfare officer assigned to look after just housing rights for the students' union. And she would have said basically every issue she was facing was either someone being evicted from a house or digs issues. The power trip of someone who decides they're going to just tell you what to do, what to wear, or how to speak, or whatever it is. Oh All of a sudden, these people just make your life unbearable, and then you're stuck in a combination midterm. Yeah. May I ask what your budget is? Like, I, I, ideally, it would be 
you know, so the average wage of a student is 750 euros for a month or whatever. So I would say if I could pay anything around 750 euros and just live off like beans and rice or whatever, I think that would be perfect. <laughs> um, it, but realistically, I don't know if I'm even going to get that. Like I was offered an accommodation yesterday for 330 a week in purpose-built student accommodation. What? And that's 1,200 a month is basically a mortgage. And I'd be paying it for a small flat I'm sharing with six people, um, 1.5 kilometers from UCC. So it's not exactly ideal. And I don't see how it's affordable. And it seems to be targeted more towards international students who don't know what's up or people who are just absolutely desperate. So that type of housing is just built for exploitation, really, at this stage. Are you talking to the accommodation services at UCC? You are? Yes, so I've definitely been in touch with them, but as you know, so is the other 20,000 students in UCC. So (laughs) I've gotten a few recommendations. Recently, I applied for a property before I met Amasha, and about three minutes before I had the interview with the journalist asking about it, I got declined for another property. I was seemingly the only person looking at, but of course, there was actually lots of other people looking at it, but they just didn't tell me. Do do you think people don't like it when they see you are a student? Oh, as in, I apply, I would say, for three or four houses every day. And over the summer, for three months, I would say I've gotten four responses back out of maybe the 300, 400 you kind of be sending. So I would assume I'm just being put into a shredder when I say students. Wow, that's unfortunate. That's an, you sound like a fine, solid fellow who'd be good company, apart from anything else. Brian, I wish, you, you, I, I wish you well. Um, and if anybody is listening who would be prepared to come to some arrangement, accommodation arrangement, the 22-year-old law graduate who's gone on to do a master's and would prefer not to have to commute several hours a day from Tower and could come to some arrangement with you with a budget of about five to 800 quid a month. Brian, I wish you well. If anybody's listening that can help, they can contact me and I'll get in touch with you. How's that? You're a star. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Brett's Brian O'Kane. And Imagine Costa's article quotes other people as well, trying to commute. I mean, he's got three hours. Someone else that she quotes was looking at six hours commuting to go to college. It's, it's bonkers. And the cost of the student accommodation. Did I, miss, did I mishear him or did I hear him right? That it would be 300 a week for a place he was sharing with five or six other people. And as he said himself, that's a mortgage. Somebody was coining it out of that. 0818 96 96 96. We started this morning by talking to Stephen Breen from the Irish Sun about Larry Murphy, the notorious criminal, notorious rapist. Brute is probably a, an apt word, who is now living a new life in the UK. To be fair to Stephen and his team at the Sun, they have made it their life's work to follow this fella uh, to see where he is and report upon it. Um, Notorious criminal. He's now living in the UK, uh, calling himself Charlie Doyle. He changed his name officially to Charlie Doyle. He, He works in construction around London. He's in a relationship with a business person. Credit where it's due, he hasn't come to any negative attention with regards to the UK authorities since he moved over there. He's monitored by them as part of his release conditions. He's been there since about 2012. Um, But he's now living over there, uh, calling himself Charlie Doyle. 
working in construction. Stephen was also after or able to put rest to a rumour that we had here in Cork for a couple of years that he was visiting here and maybe couch surfing here and he'd been seen on the bus. He is still and always was considered very, very, very dangerous. Um, and he's a person of interest in the disappearance of Deirdre Jacob. You'll know that story. It's 25 years last month that she disappeared. He's a person of interest, but the DPP has said there's not enough evidence there to charge him. Speaking with Stephen about that this morning, uh, 0818969696, it prompted this response from Beaner. Uh, not your real name, one is assuming, but Beaner says, Imagine we caught Ireland's answer to Ted Bunny, Bundy and we let it go. Locking a woman in the boot of a car, raping her, beating her, then doing it again, then putting a plastic bag over her head. Two men caught him red-handed. The poor woman would have died only for them, but because he didn't finish his evil act and end her life, he didn't get locked up forever. Is that a sick, disgusting joke or what? Yeah, he got 15 years for that, and he was released after 10. Something else about him is that his prison time was before we have any, had any kind of a register in this country, any kind of a list in this country. So he's not on any kind of a register or any kind of a list, which is why he's notorious and people fear him so much. But Beaner says the rape and locking in the boot should surely be enough confirmation that he's 100% evil, a violent psychopath. So why is a 100% proven, violent, evil psychopath allowed to walk free. We deserve an answer to that. Even Bundy was eventually hauled in and, and they, eventually, um, they eventually fried him. Well, we don't fry people here in this country, but I, I know where you're coming from. Yeah, he was sentenced, I, I have it here, he was sentenced to 15 years. He served 10. He appeared before Mr Justice Paul Carney, who's now no longer with us. He was sentenced before the Sex Offenders Act was introduced, so he's not subject to any supervision in this country, post-released. Um, he's described as a quiet individual who's uneasy about the limelight. Imagine he would be, all right. 0818969696. But Larry Murphy now living in the UK under the name Charlie Doyle. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. So yesterday we were talking to William O'Brien, who's the Residence Association Chair up around Noonan's Road. And they're trying to get something done about the disgraceful state in which they're living, the disgraceful conditions in which they're living. It'll be interesting, that, again, coming back to my, my pet hobby this morning, the Electoral Commission. Uh, Noonan's Road is now moving back into Cork South Central at the next election. And whether it'll make any difference to the residents there, I, I really don't know. But yesterday, William was telling me about rats coming up through the drains and that he actually had to at one point go over to one of his neighbours and confirm that the rat in her kitchen was dead. So she, it could be thrown out. Horrible conditions coming up the drains. Um, Sarah, you're living there. Uh, 
just describe for me what you're going through because if it's anything like my notes, I'm I'm already shivering. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Good. You're living there how long? Um, so I'm there 13 years now. Okay, <clears throat> okay. Describe the conditions. And, um, yeah, so the problem with the mice is going on, that's going on 11 years. Nice. Yeah, so they've done nothing about that. Um, and, you know, like with small kids, it's very hard to be living in a house that's full of mice, do you know? Sure. Are you on the ground floor or on the um, floor? I know I'm up the top, um, so there's somebody living underneath me, um, and then the Japanese weed knot is out her back, so it's coming up to my kitchen window, so I can't open windows or I can't. Um, hold on, hold on. You're, you know, I can't, the, I, you're at the top of the building. So I'm upstairs, and yeah. they're underneath me. And the Japanese knot weed the, is coming in the window. Yeah, it's up. It's after growing right up to the my kitchen window. So if I open a kitchen window, like because there was a resident. Um, two doors down in the other block had footage of the rats coming up the walls. So right. I can't leave a window open. I can't because I'd be in fair like that. The rats would get in. Now there's rats in, in my neighbour's house two doors up, which is awful. I don't know how the woman is still staying there because I couldn't, if I saw a rat in my house, I couldn't be there. Yeah. I'd be gone. <laughs> you could, you could, um, and they'd climb up the flipping knotweed like that's the thing. Oh, they do. They do. So like I asked about the knotweed being removed and it, uh, they said they, it can't be removed. No, they can't so, touch it. They can't touch it. Yeah, it's so a like, very specialised removal. You can't you can't just go ch- hacking yeah. at it because it makes it worse if you go chopping at it. Yeah. yeah, so like I have three kids. I have a 15-year-old, a 10-year-old, and I have an 11-week-old baby. I mean, if they get in, like if they're in the neighbours two doors up, it won't be long until they're in everyone's, I'd say, because we are infested in mice. That's going on years. Right. Like you'd hear them running, running through the floorboards. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, oh, look, it's horrible. My... Like I was feeding my baby last week and... Um, you know, I could hear, I know, I ne- I'm a pro now, I nearly know the noise of a mouse, you know, like, because living with it, like, you'd know. And I could hear it. Next, I looked, like, and he's looking at me and he's running up my wall. Yeah. So, like, I, like, jump off the chair with the baby in my arms, you know, like, because I get such a fright, like, but he went in, in through a hole that, like, you'd fit a pencil through. Yeah, I know. And just up, yeah, like, it's horrible. Like, I have a 10-year-old that spends most of the nights on the couch, like, because the noise of them scratching is waking her, like. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. She's terrified up in the bedroom. Scratching in the walls. Yeah. Mm. Oh, scratching. Like, sometimes, like, sometimes I'm like, is that actually mice? Like, because it's so loud. I'm like, there's probably thousands of them. I don't know. I don't know. So pest control came out and um, he they put down bait um, 
especially behind my cooker because I have to put my cooker out every two to three days to clean behind it because the amount of mouth droppings. It's unbelievable. Like, um, so he actually told me that um, he can do this, like, but they'll come back. They'll be back. He said that it's all open. They're running straight through from one, one house to the next, like, running straight through. Of course, all the walls you know? are hollow behind, so, yeah. God. Yeah, and sure not, and, and, and besides that, anyway, them houses aren't livable anyway. We'd reach up for it, come out two years ago to do the whole lot, came in and assessed all the properties. They never came back. They're probably nesting and breeding in the walls. And oh, everything. there's loads. Yeah, they're, they're nesting, like, yeah. And then the rats, I'm like, you know, I can't, like, yeah, mice are horrible as well, but like, if, if a rat gets in, I like, I couldn't live there. If I, if I can see them outside, like, yeah. we caught loads. We purchased them um, a rackage and we caught loads. We caught loads and, st- and we're still catching them. Yeah. God. Yeah. Okay. What do you do? Yeah. I, and like, there's, there's, there's no rubbish up there. There's, there's, all the backs are clear. There's no rubbish. Like, I don't know why they're, why they're there. Like, there's no getting rid of them. But like, the woman two doors down, they're baby rats. Like, so God only knows how many of them are there. What, what do you do when you catch them in the rat cage? Um, well, d- there was um, one of the neighbours knows someone that takes them away. And leaves them off somewhere. I don't know somewhere where they're he'd, he'd be trained kind of in something like that or oh, something yeah. like that. Anyway, but sure, look, yeah. I don't care where they go once they're away from from me. <laughs> oh yeah, one of your neighbours, you know? I think, found or her child found a dead one out in the balcony. At yeah, she did. Hamster. Yeah, that's um. Oh yeah, it was. I seen it. Yeah, and I seen um the rat trap in the rat in the woman's house as well. Like it's awful, awful. Yeah. Like, you can't leave your kids out up there. You just can't. Like, you can't, like, it's not safe. Trying to make, you said you've an 11-week-old. Trying to... Pre- I have 11, yeah. prepare oh, bottles. I didn't baby. close my eyes. Yeah, like, if this all happened, he's 11 weeks now, so he was five weeks when it first happened. And I'm telling you, I didn't close my eyes for about four or five nights in a row because when we caught the rats, because I, I was like, what if one of them get in? I was, I was terrified, yeah. What, yeah. What what can you? I mean, Ugh. how the hell can you prepare his food in any kind of a sterile environment? Like? Oh, I know, I know, I know. I'm constantly wiping down, cleaning, disinfecting, just in case. Like you know, you you, you wouldn't know. Like, and like there was one. I, I seen one on my balcony as well. No, they did come up and put down. Um, it's like a rat thing on the balcony because there was one on my balcony. But sure, like I don't know. There, it's infested with them. Like it's horrible, Sarah, horrible. I don't know how they expect. Sarah, do you mind my asking how much? Yep. You're paying in rent to live in this kip. Um, so they're taking 30, 30 euro a week. Nice. For me, for rent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 It's yeah. not a lot of money, yeah. but you're not getting a lot of value out of it. No, either. and like no, no. And you know, like it's not fair on anybody living up there, even outside the rats, like they're not livable. The house is the houses aren't livable. And that's same Finbar's Road as well, and Noonan's Road, the whole the from the the whole way, like it's awful awful what people are living in yeah. and like there's probably people paying a lot more rent than that do you know what I mean for them houses sure. like it's not fair well, well, here's it's the not th- fair you yeah. hard working people like here's the thing right if you were living in private sector accommodation private <laughs> rented accommodation mm-hmm. and you were telling me this story everyone mm-hmm. would be given out about the landlords and how terrible the landlords were and how old this you are a exactly. tenant your landlord is the city council for pity's sake PJ, I have emails going back to 2016 and I still have them of the mice and I'd constantly be sending, you know, this is how long it's going on with the mice. Like, so that's why I suppose I'm kind of used to it, you know, at this stage, like, um, and I've emails going back to then and my emails were ignored and there was one time they chewed through the back of my cooker. They chewed the wires through the back, at the back of my cooker. 
So I sent pictures to a certain person of it. Mm. And like that, I got an email back. What do you you want us to buy you a new cooker? No, I don't want you to buy me a new cooker. I want you to send somebody up to help me to get rid of the effect. You know, Mm. like that's how smart they are in there. Like, you know, so I, you know, like I have all them emails and I still have them. That's how many years I'm trying to, you know, and my neighbor next door is the same. Like they can hear them in there scratching in the walls. She has a daughter that has to go downstairs as well to sleep downstairs. God. And from what I know, and it's, I, I pass it from time to time, maybe on the bus or when, yeah. I'm, when I'm driving. Yeah. It looks like a fabulous, tight little community there. Oh, it is. It is. There's lovely people living there. Like, you know, we'd all know each other, do you know? That's yeah. why I'm saying, like, like even that woman out with the, the rats in her house, like, we all, like, my partner was helping her, do you know? Like, it's, it's lousy. It's horrible, like, for her to be living like that, know. do you know? She's on her own, like, I mean, and then a rat inside her yeah. kitchen. And the damp and the cold. I, I heard someone else saying to me. Yeah, so they, because they, Willem was on to you yesterday. Yes. So um, after Willem came off to you yesterday, about 40, 40 to 50 minutes later, there was a knock at my door and it was the Cork City Council. <laughs> so they wanted to come up to see, did I want new windows? <laughs> okay. But this was because Willem was on with you yesterday. This is what they do when someone, you know, when it's been highlighted, they send someone up and then... Oh, we've, do you know, that's new, what it new was. New windows, what, for the mice to look new. in? <laughs> but I said, yeah, exactly. I was like, new windows. <laughs> I, I, I want more than new windows. Do you know so, what I mean? That's not what I want. That, that's a kind what of I want, a, and you're trying to give me our two different things, like. You've heard the expression, Sarah, lipstick on a pig, like. Yeah, do you know, like, and I was just like, this isn't working, like, just sending somebody up for new windows. No, like, that's not good enough. That's not good enough at all. Oh, for the way we've been left down for years, like. Do you know? It's crazy. That's crazy. And you've, you've, you've children there. That's not safe. And oh. I do, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Like if something happens, one of my kids, they, are, they, they will be responsible for it because they're aware of what's going on. Sarah, I wish you well. You describe it so, so well and so clearly. Um, her house in the Noonan's Road area, riddled with mice. They're breeding in the walls. They're nesting in the walls. They're running around at night. She has an 11-a-week-old baby. And her landlord is not some pinstriped fat cat multi-millionaire. It's not even some accidental landlord who came into the private rented accommodation thing. It's not the kind of landlord that all the usual people to be given out about. Her landlord, her landlord, ladies and gentlemen, is Cork City Council. And you've just listened to the conditions in which she is forced to live. 0818 96 96 96. And on to other local stories that we are following. The Before Five Family Centre story. Katie O'Keefe went along yesterday to the demonstration. They had a huge turnout. Several hundred people uh, turned out. I, I'm not too sure. I don't think the bishop... I don't think the bishop turned up, but we know that behind the scenes, Bishop Gavin is talking to people and the latest news filtering through is, you know, the usual cliche, every effort is underway to ensure someone will take over the services there at Before Five and hopefully that will happen. But uh, Katie spoke to some of the demonstrators, including former staff member Catherine Murphy. 
I worked here, yeah, for over a quarter of a century. I travelled up from West Cork today. This place needs to be saved. Saved for the parents, saved for the grandparents, saved for the people that are attending, the staff more than ever need their, need everyone's support. There's some of them have been here for 30 years. I'd say between the 14 staff, there's hundreds of years. Service put in by them, dedicated. They love the place and they're loved. I got a bit of hope here today that this might be over turned this will be someone this will be saved somehow i just hope it's badly needed my name is christine mullins a staff member of the before five family center here in churchville hill have been working here for 12 years there's a lot of staff inside us 14 of us who have been affected by this and there's also staff members who are ce community employment workers we received a text message last wednesday to say that the center was closing and that we were basically out of jobs no actual reason as to why we're devastated for the children it is not just a preschool it's a crash there is over a hundred children to should have started the preschool this week over 60 children in the creche over 40 children in the after suit club and there's also a play therapy service where 30 children attend throughout the year they're all gone now we had everything ready to go we had a meeting ourselves with some of the board last Thursday we asked for answers and we didn't get any answers all those children that were ready to start all those little children that their mothers went out and bought them their little sacks their little lunch boxes their little stuff like that that's you know that like it's heartbreaking from absolutely heartbreaking from that's terrible on the families that's very upsetting and stressful to each and every parent there's no places around what are they supposed to do my name is Marion Smith. I'm working in Before Five for the last 22 years. I'm my crest supervisor. We're so sorry that the kids had to go through this and the parents have to go through this ordeal. And we're just hoping that some, something can be done to save our community centre. And for those listening who don't know, Before Five has been around for 50 years. 50 years, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of people, uh, kids, adults involved in the centre. Uh, there's play therapy, there's after school, there's crash, there's ECC groups like that. Um, it's just devastating we just don't know what to do we're actually broken hearted and we're all shaking now here this morning because it's just such a heartbreaking it's heartbreaking for us that's Marion um, you can hear the passion in their voices the passion for the place that's been there for nearly 50 years if we hear of any breakthroughs or any developments behind the scenes the latest we heard was that there was another provider who may be interested in moving in. That's all we know. But if we hear any more, you will certainly be the first to know more. 0818 96 96 96. Bit of reaction to the constituency boundary changes. Um, and maybe I'll take one or two calls on it uh, before the end of the show. But certainly there are messages coming in as people read through the proposed changes in constituencies. In Cork we're going to get two more TDs. Cork North Central and Cork South Central are going back to being five-seaters. They were made four-seaters a couple of elections ago. They're back to being five-seaters now. Ballin College is coming into Cork North Central. Bishopstown is coming back into Cork South Central. All those places that were on the south of the river that kind of looked as if they should be in Cork North Central when they will be going back into North Cork Central. Cork North Central, Noonan's Road, for example, will be in Cork South Central. 
It's been in Cork North Central and no one really knows why. There was one street, was it Barrick Street or some street around it, that had Cork South Central posters on one side of the street and Cork North Central posters on the other side of the street. Sure, how confused would you be living there? But that's changed now. One man who won't be overly happy at the reading of the new boundary is Sean Sherlock, the Labour TD. Uh, Mallow-based, Cork East. It looks from the news this morning that Mallow, pretty much all of Mallow, is coming into Cork North Central, which would be taking an awful lot of his core vote away from Sean Sherlock. That He's one person who may not be overly pleased by this morning's news. Some comments coming in. Keep them coming. Uh, text to WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Join the conversation. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. So the other day I was talking to Michael O'Donovan from the VFI about pub closures. And he was telling me that in 2022 and into early this year, of all of the pubs that closed around the country, half of them were in Cork. We lost 54 pubs in Cork over the last couple of years. A lot of them rural. Um, And on Friday, is it Friday? Friday. Yes, Friday, 1st of September, the VAT rate, the 9% VAT rate that covers food and certain elements of the drinks industry goes back up to 13.5% and the VFI have warned that that will put prices up and cost more jobs and cost more pubs and put more pubs under pressure. The publicans are also calling for the excise duty to be changed in the budget. We paid the second highest excise duty in all of the EU. In fact, we pay the over over every category of drink. We pay the highest, uh, the second, the third highest. James Casey has Casey's Bar in in Clonakilty, and I wasn't aware, James, that you guys also did the lovely Why Not in Kiskem. I wasn't aware that was yours. That's a gorgeous, that's a gorgeous typical country pub. It's tough out there. Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you keeping? Good. It's very um, tough. So the Why Not. The Why Not in Kish Game, that's actually where I was born and reared. Is it? And that's where I came from. But uh, moved on to uh, better pastures, I suppose, yeah. to Clonakilty then. Yes, I see. Yes, I see. And I'm in Clonakilty now with 10 years, but um, in the hospitality industry, uh, pub and restaurant. Mm. But um, it's, it's definitely for sure getting harder and harder every year. Food is a big part of your business there in in cases you have a fine fine food but like what's happening on Friday now that's going to affect you isn't it that'll affect us big time yeah um, we're after taking a lot of the blood of the price increases already like every week we're getting emails to say that the price of this is going up the price of that is going up and in a lot of the cases we had to take the, the brunt of it ourselves mm-hmm. but um, with the vet increase going up for 4% or 4.5% like there's no way that we could take that as it is with yeah. the energy with the energy cost as well. For example, our ESB bill used to always nearly about four and a half thousand for every two months, yeah. but now it's well over ten thousand. Holy moly! For two months, yeah. Have you helped with that? Have you got grants for for that, or is there? Any... There was um, for a few months last year. All right, but that's gone now. Okay. Wow. Um, we're being told that 
it's starting to come down. Any sign of it yet? Um, not really. Um, so it was kind of hard to tell with the last few months because summer would be our busier period in Clannacilty with tourism and stuff. Yes. But uh, it was still up three or four hundred euros on the bill, the previous bill. Yeah. So, so your main courses or your sandwiches or whatever you have there Friday, Saturday, will, will, are you faced with having to put up your prices, James? Uh, we have to, yeah. We'll try and take as much of the, uh, the brunt of it as we can, but we definitely wouldn't be able to take it all. Like, what's the price of a typical main course now? So, for example, now your burger, your chicken curry, um, dishes like that, that would be uh, 50, between fifteen ninety-five and sixteen ninety-five. Okay. You're going to have to put that up, or is that the price you had to put up too? No, we didn't put it up yet. We're going to try and um, ride it out for a few weeks yes. and then um, see how things go. Yes. And then um, we'll, we'll have to put it up, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. It's, now... Behind the counter, where you're pulling, you're pulling pints. The excise duty. I just did some, some research, James, over the last while, and I know I'm I'm being led by reports from drinks industry groups. So that's kind of a small bit biased, obviously. But then again, if you take an independent look across the EU, the rate of tax excise, like we're paying fifty. If I get a pint of Guinness in your place or a pint of Heineken, I'm paying about 53, 54 cents on that. The same pint in Germany, I pay five cents. The same pint in Spain, I pay five cents. If I buy a glass of Cabernet Sauvignon in your fine establishment, I pay 80 cents excise duty. In France, I pay one cent. That's it's hard right, to live yeah. with, isn't it? Um, it is definitely, especially with the tourism, you know, um, it is kind of hard to compete against places like that, especially Clannacilty would be kind of a big um, tourism yeah. uh, town and when you're competing against other places like that um, but then uh, like that, then there's uh, other things affecting it, like we tourists there we found it very, we did wait an hour for a taxi, you know Yeah. there's there's a lot of things you know, not in the favour of the Irish tourism, you know for to know their experience when they do come to Ireland. Have you got a taxi service locally, or is it a kind of someone comes so in to and does? To be more hackney, so we'd have maybe a good three or four um, hackney services. Right. But actually, what's actually happening is a lot of them now is working at night time because they're doing all school runs during the day. Of course. So they'd be up early, and they'd be government jobs. They might do two or three runs for school, special needs kids, or whatever like that. And they're not going to be up until uh, one, two, three o'clock in the morning. Do not. Sure, of course they're not. Of course they're not. So if I'm if I'm visiting Clannacilty, I'm a tourist visiting Clannacilty, and I, I wander down in the afternoon. I might get a bus down, or I might get a taxi down from say if I might be staying in Bandon or I might be staying somewhere else. I discover this beautiful town on a summer's day. I think this is fantastic. I'm gonna have a oh, there's a lovely pub. I have a pint. I have a boy to eat. It's seven or eight or nine o'clock at night. Shall we go back to the hotel? Maybe we might have a bit of music on. I might stay for that. And then I'm saying to you, um, barman, can you please get me a taxi? And you say, I can't. Correct. That's that's what's happening. Or at least they might, they might even have to wait an hour in some cases. I see. I see. And it kind of leaves a little bitter taste, a small bit. Of course bit, it know? does. Of course it does, James. And have you anything like local link buses or anyone? Like I know that for years, fellas, some people out in rural areas were... We're running a minivan that that have a, an old van with eight or nine seats in it. Now, apart from the legal nightmare that it, that 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 brought up, is it still going on or is it gone? 
um, it was going on to a small bit uh, up until recently, but that's nearly all gone now as well. Because yeah. again, it's, it, there's huge legal difficulties. Yeah, and I think insurance, I think um, yeah. I was talking to a local hackney driver there recently and he was saying for anyone that wants to start out first year doing hackney, insurance is up around €9,000 for the year. Holy moly. Um, you want to do a lot of school runs to pay that back? You would. Um, and fuel costs and everything else that goes with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think um, something definitely needs to be done um, in relation to the government to reducing VAT rates or some kind of incentive to uh, promote hospitality industry because if you think about it too, anyone that comes home on holidays or visiting or anything, oh, we go down to the local, you know, we'll meet in the local for a few drinks, there might be a bit of music or whatever. But if things keep going the way it is, that local won't be there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There are changes in behaviour, James, and I, I noticed this in the city and Michael Donovan was kind of acknowledging it. In terms of going out, Sort of the music, the fellow with the guitar, instead of playing 10 till midnight, he's playing 7 till 9, and the place is empty at half 9. Is that happening in your neck of the woods too? It, it, yeah, exactly. I'll give you one example there. Sunday nights used to be an absolute brilliant night. Yeah? It used to be a big night for drinking. This is going back maybe eight, ten years ago. And Sunday night you know, used to be one of our better nights. We'd have music on, there'd be a big drinking crowd. Um, but now when a Sunday night come half past 10 you'd only maybe have 10 or 15 yeah. um, so with work and uh, I think drink driving and yeah. culture and all that but what I do find recently people are kind of even a group of lads they'll go for a meal and then they'll have a few pints afterwards and home early yes. I think that's the kind of way things are kind of culture's kind of changing in small bit Are people changing opening hours to suit that? Or you know because sitting I'm sure it must be very soul destroying sitting looking at an empty bar at 10 o'clock or half 10 on a Saturday night and thinking I still have daft to pay and whatever. Yeah, um, it's definitely not a nice feeling. But in kind of one way, we're kind of lucky we'd be kind of getting ready for the next day for breakfast in the first, morning. Or, course, yeah. you know, so we'd always kind of have something to do or you could go out cleaning or, um, you know. Oh. Uh, <laughs> there was an old saying, my, 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 my wife worked in catering for enough years to know. That there was an old saying, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. <laughs> Uh, I must um, think of that one now for um, my own staff in the future. And you know what? You have great staff and you run a great establishment. And it's I'm so sorry to hear so many people, James, running great places on the end of my phones and other people's phones going, please, 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 something needs to be done or we're going to... 54 pubs out of the 108 pubs the club closed in Ireland last year were in Cork. It's huge. And it's kind of worrying in a way as well. James, I wish you well uh, and good luck down there in, in lovely, lovely Clonakilty and uh, Casey's. One of the fine establishments in that fine, fine town, James Casey. And also from a beautiful place, if you want to find a typical country pub, find the Why Not in Kishkane. What a gorgeous place. 0818 96 96 96. James, thank you. Yeah, those excise tax figures are they're mind-boggling. Spain, so in Ireland, 55 cents of your pint is excise duty. Spain is 5 cents. Portugal is about 9. Greece, about 30. France, about 5. Italy, it's about 18 cents. Um, We have the dearest wine in the EU by a country mile. With the second dearest for beer and the third dearest for spirits. And the best 
figure I came up with. So a bottle of wine, a bottle of Irish whiskey that you buy in Ireland has about, about 12 quid in taxes. The same bottle in Spain that's made here has 270 in taxes. Riddle me that. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. ETA sent a message. Thank you for this, uh, ETA. In light of all of the fatal road accidents over the last few days, the horrific story, two of them in County Tipperary, the one on Friday night where those three Leaving Cert students and the brother of one of them, they were killed uh, Friday night and then on last night we have three people dead in Cashel, grandparents and their grandchild and the little boy's parents in very serious condition in hospital after an accident which I think happened, do you know when you're driving to Dublin on the motorway and there's a service garage there, you get fuel and McDonald's or whatever you want, that garage there in in Cashel. Well, if you go off the slip towards that, you can get down into Cashel itself and I think the accident happened in that general area. Horrific, horrific accident again. But Ita says, with regard to the road deaths, could you get a minister on the show? There's 115 people dead since the 1st of January. It's horrific and we're not even into the dark evenings yet. If 115 people were killed in a plane crash, we'd have a week of mourning. And it's almost all down to speed. There need to be better enforcement of the law. It's gotten worse lately, in my opinion, the speeding. People should start a campaign, an online petition, and show the huge interest there is in this. I'm from Carrigaline. It's one of the worst areas. The schools were built in the centre of town. There's two and a half thousand kids going to them, but they're all within walking distance. It creates a vicious cycle. All the people, all the kids could walk to school, but sure the parents start worrying about them. I must say, Isa, I was down in Kerry at the weekend and my pal and I were driving around just seeing some, just seeing some sights really, taking a spin out the ring of Kerry for an old chat and a catch up. And some of the driving was just nuts. Absolutely nuts. So I can see where you're coming from. 0818 96 96 96. And on before five, which we're following with much interest and the way that that was closed and staff were told it was closed and parents were told it was closed by text message. I often ask myself, says this call, why can places close so suddenly in Ireland and just leave workers in the lurch, lurch? Is it like that everywhere? Maybe we should look at the laws in places like Germany and France and take our ideas because it's absolutely ridiculous. It is. I mean, maybe before five closed pretty much in the same way that Debenhams closed and Vita Cortex was another big story for years. You remember that back in oh, it's a few years ago now. And Cleary's in Dublin closed. And workers generally, generally are treated very badly sometimes in these situations. Anyway, we can come back, come back to it all and we'll come back to the constituency boundaries. Some people commenting on that too. But first, have you heard of... This is an entirely new one on me. An entirely new one on me. Baby nups. 
what is a baby nup? No, it's not a little nup. It's what is a baby nup? Helen O'Callaghan has been writing about baby nups in the Examiner this week. Um, what are they? Why are they so popular? I think they're a deal that you do and an agreement that you make with your partner before the baby even arrives as to how there will be the division of labour in the house and the division of minding of the child. I can't imagine you could make an agreement like that at all. Don't think it'd work. Beth Ann O'Reardon is a psychotherapist uh, supporting families and also part of the Mind or the Mum's Mind podcast. Beth Ann, what on earth is a baby nup? How could anyone think that you would write up an agreement as to what to do with the baby before the baby's even here? Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And yeah, it's so... So when Helen got in touch with me and asked me to comment on it, I said, I've never heard of this in my life. But so the pieces that she sent me through were that in in this piece she sent me anyway was in America, you can get a legally binding agreement, a legally binding contract between two parents before a child comes along to to divvy out the responsibilities and duties of who's going to do what. The world has lost what few marbles it had left when I hear you saying that. I know. <laughs> so at first I thought the same thing and then I tried to think, okay, Beth, and what, what, hmm. And, and I think, I mean, anything that encourages a discussion is helpful. I just don't know why it needs to be a legal documentation. Yeah. You know, I mean, a partner's going to sue each other. Will people end up in prison? Will there be fines? You know, it totally removes it from a relationship. Mm. I remember when my two came along. We had twins. And, oh. and all I knew about a child at that stage, Bethan, was, and even then I wasn't too well informed, one end made noise, the other end made a mess. And then I realised, hang on, it's not always as clear-cut as that even. But we got through it. Yeah. And, and, and in fairness, my, my wife was far better at that side of things than I was. But I did what I needed to do and... You, you, you muddled through and you got there. Have we forgotten about muddling through and getting there? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to trying to control things. And the reality is, is that we can't control the real world. You know, so like I've been at this parenting gig a while now. My oldest kid is 12 and a half. And I was chatting about this and my husband and he said, but even to this day, we're kind of, you know, my kids go back to school tomorrow. It'll be a bit of a muddling through until we get in our flow. And that's okay. That's life. I think when we try to be really regimented about things, we've gone off to a different zone altogether and we're trying to control relationships. And you just can't do that. We all need to live in what's really messy. And I'd suggest, Bethan, again, from my own experience, it's the muddling through and often, you know, sitting down in the kitchen or sitting down in front of the telly at 11 o'clock at night, absolutely flattened. It's that muddling yeah. through that, that makes makes a better partnership. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, like people just need to say what's going on for them, try and create a better plan, a better solution the next day. But I mean, it's never going to look ideal. You know, it's always going to look a bit higgledy-piggledy, a bit up and down, a bit in between. And that's okay. That's okay. That's life. I mean, I do think one bit that I thought was maybe helpful about it was that generally I work with mums and 
sometimes they can carry more of the emotional load than the dads do. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity to talk about that more and say, well, I want you to check if the kids need new shoes. You make the dentist appointment. Yeah. This is just some of the stuff people have said. But I don't know if you need to go to a solicitor for that. Maybe I thought you could save the money and go on a really nice family holiday <laughs> instead yeah. where the parents don't have to cook yeah. <laughs> or there's a camp for the kids so you can get a break. You know, use the money more wisely, perhaps, was my idea. Yeah. One thing, for example, you're right with regard to particularly in very young kids like I would have not realised that the the the, the the socks were had holes in them or I mightn't have realised that new shoes were required but by God I could run up 20 bottles at that rather rate of nuts and have them ready for the following day you do what you're good at yes you do what well, you're good you know, at well do you know PJ Yes, you make a great point. See, and I know generally maybe we're talking about heterosexual relationships here, but, you know, men are very good at doing things. You know, we're very different. There's a book, Men Are From Mars, When Women Are From Venus. I read it. It's, it's I totally read it. right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's great. You know, like men, men are very good. If you could if you could give a dad a list of things to do, it's like, great. And women are generally better at the seeing, at the picking up on things. And, and I know this is very stereotypical, true, but there's a great book called Why Gender Matters that explains all this. And even down to the fact that a DNA of a woman's in women's eyes is different for men. And women are pre-programmed to be able to pick up on detail better. And like the evolutionary psychologist would say, it's because, well, I have to read the face of a baby when I'm sitting up at night looking at this child or in the day I have to figure out what it needs so women's DNA in their eyes is even different you know so again stick to what you're good at (laughs) you know like that my husband was great at at the doing jobs you know really really good so I wouldn't have to think about the doing bits but luckily I didn't have to have a legal agreement to encourage him to do those things the other thing and I know that this used to drive still does drive the queen bee around the twist right I used to say is there anything I can do (laughs) and that used to get me a look that would rust the garden gate. And I'm saying, just direct me and I will do it. I think, Beth, and maybe you're right, and particularly with mums and dads of young children, mums have like a sixth sense. For God's sake, it grew inside you. You have a sixth sense. We dads, we'll do, like you said, we're good at doing. We'll do what's put in front of us to do. Don't expect us to smell that nappy. We might... (laughs) We might, <laughs> you know, like you come, her, ma- ma- mommy comes home from out for a walk. She can smell crap coming up the drive. You're sitting there blissfully yeah. watching the news and you haven't picked it up at all. Yeah. That's how we Yeah. Are. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said for trying. I know it's really hard, but trying to just appreciate where people's skills are and where they're at. You know, my husband can do great stuff that I can't do and vice versa as well, you know. I'm, but, getting, uh, it. I'm <laughs> getting it here on the screen, Beth Ann, from my work wife. Well, I can imagine, right? <laughs> this is rubbish. You just choose to ignore it. But no, we're made differently. 
Yeah, I mean, so so there's a great book on this called Why Gender Matters, and it shows that, and I, I don't have the statistics for women, but that men are 99.4% of their DNA is correlated to chimpanzees, right? And there was this great study of these, um, I know, I know, but there's this, and there's this great study done by four different psychologists and therapists where they studied chimpanzees and their behavior for four years, and it showed how the girls and the baby girls stayed closer to the mums were more interested in learning things while the male chimpanzees went off and did things. So what we're talking about is the DNA inside of us mm-hmm. that drives us to, to be this primitive primal. And then we have the thinking brain on top. So it is complicated. It is, mm. you know, there, there, there is a lot going on. There's the in- invisible work as well, which to be fair, and again, look, having raised a couple of kids of my own, I, I know the stuff that was invisible, like the, the school emails, new shoes, new school books, buying school bags, pay for the books, pay for school tours, sort out school buses. So much of stuff that's associated with kids and school, it it falls to mum's to, to, to mom's lap because dad is gone off for many, most of the time anyway. And I remember when my kids were small, I was often gone out of the house in the morning at half past five. Yeah. You know, so yeah, there was so much being done and, and, that I didn't see. Yeah, but now mom, a lot of mums work full-time as well. True. You know, so there's the full-time work of the invisible work, the full-time work of the mom, of the dad, and it needs a conversation. Like, I had to hand over all the WhatsApp groups last year because I kept getting all the times and days wrong for the kids' training. Mm. They said, Mom, you're useless at this. I said, great, give it to your dad then, super. You know, and, and, and so there is... There is a lot of hidden stuff, but again, use your skills. Do do what you're good at and try to pass on the rest. Yeah, and I, I think people recognise as well in, in a mature relationship, you recognise what your partner's good at and, yeah. and, and you recognise what you're better at. And once you're yeah. okay with it, there's an old saying, um, you know, with acceptance comes peace. And, and realising yeah. that, you know, Tom is never going to pick up the socks. Never. But Tom will always know what's to be done for a practical thing with schools and stuff. You have to accept that. You can't put that stuff into a contract. Yeah, and I think, you know, the family is the training ground for life. So children are learning from their parents, whether you're parenting in a relationship or you're parenting apart. You know, the family is the training ground for life. So how you sort out your problems, how you tolerate other people is how your children learn to tolerate and accept other people as well. And I think one of the best things we can teach them is, look, nobody's perfect, but we can all model through together. And if we can teach that as parents, then we're doing a damn fine job by our kids by demonstrating that to them. There's a great point you just made there in terms of kids learn what they see. So if seven, eight, nine-year-olds, for example, or 10-year-olds notice mom or dad reaching for a contract or a file every time there's a disagreement and it's open in the kitchen, they're going to grow up in a very strange world where nothing will be agreed. It'll all have been written down. I, I, I just think it's the most bonkers notion I've ever heard. 
<laughs> I mean, just when you were saying then, I was imagining like in a playground, you know, if there's a disagreement, they'd sort it out. Imagine if they whipped out this page that was like, well, actually, you agreed to this when we were playing dodgeball or whatever it is they're playing. I mean, it's just not reality. The reality is, is that we can't manage behavior through a contract. We try to. We try to with rules and regulations and organization and they're nice to have. Sometimes they're aspirational, but it's really how we relate to each other is the thing that's going to keep us keep us through going through life and you know the skills of patience compromising they're the ones we want to teach our children because that's what will stand them for life yeah the opening line there of of helen's piece that you contributed to you're in charge of night feeds he launders baby grows and caught sheets you're on nappy duty he cooks the meals it's all set in stone it's a contract. I'm looking at the first line and thinking, do you know what? That's a lovely division. And when it works out, it's great. Put that down on paper. In my mind, that's a recipe for it to fail. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I'm a mom of three and I know there were some days I could commit to stuff and there were some days I couldn't commit to stuff. Mm. You know, it depended on the night I had, depended on how I was feeling, depended how my recovery from birth was going. My husband had to go back to work. Maybe he had to stay late. You know, there was so much. I mean, it does sound lovely and aspirational, doesn't it? Everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah. Maybe not reality, though. You'd have to wonder, Bethann, wouldn't you, what Judge Judy would make of this a hundred percent and and then like are we not just so far removed from you know we have like a mental health crisis in the country at the minute you know children are really struggling and then things like this come in and we think well what what are we actually teaching them about the world you know i i love i'd love to i i've i've, I've asked a friend who speaks irish this question in in english there's only one word for the expression to know something and in german and spanish there's two words in German, it's called ken, kentness, which is called to know by experience or insight. And the other word to know is Weissenschaft, which is when you know something um, like I know how to read a map. And we all need to work on the other part of our knowing. We need to know something by experience and insight by doing it because that's what makes us happy and that's what makes us be able to feel like we're someone in the world and that you don't get that through a contract well no with 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 irish i'm thinking as you tell me there you have in irish you have toisigum which means i know and tigum which means i know and understand they're two Ah, different things okay so to Isagum, it means I know, I know that the baby's nappy needs change. You know, Tigum means I understand exactly what you want. Yeah. So there's oh, two words. Oh, fabulous. Thank you. We probably have more. We probably have <laughs> more. But they're what pop into my head off the top of my head. Listen, Beth, and a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Okay. Good, to, good to speak you. with you. We'll chat again. That's um, Beth Ann O'Riordan, psychotherapist involved in the Mumbind Project. And she is a psychotherapist who supports families. I, I, this is the craziest Kardashianization of the world I have ever heard. Baby nubs. Good piece, though, by Helen, in fairness, in the examiner. But it just sounds like a recipe for total chaos. 0818 
96, 96, 96. Lots and lots more stuff coming in on various topics of conversation during the morning. I'm going to need to, to clear my desks, but need to clear this first. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. The Big Drive Home. With Izzy Showbizzy. On Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Busy Show Busy, and I'm coming to the Big Drive Home on Cork's 96 FM. Join me next Monday from 4 for the best music mix, all the showbiz, and the latest traffic. Plus, you pick the playlist on the takeover each night from 7. Join me next Monday from 4. The Big Drive Home. You can get me with Izzy Showbizzy. Cork's 96 FM. 96 FM. Premier League Live is back this weekend. 96fm.ie is where you'll find it with Trevor Welsh and the team. Saturday from midday, powered by Talk Sport. This weekend, 12.30 Saturday, Sheffield United versus Everton. Chelsea against Nottingham Forest at three. Brighton against Newcastle at half five plus Everything else, all the goals as they are scored. Premier League, Live, Premier League Live online is with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. I will catch up with some of your comments on various topics of conversation uh, in, in a while. And we'll also talk to one of the happiest mums in Ireland, I'd say. Uh, her little boy, a year ago, a year ago, he had a kidney transplant. And yesterday he ran into school with a smile, the width of Patrick Street, on his little face. I'll be talking to his mum before we finish today. But Dennis, you're just back from the Dutch Grand Prix in, in Zanford. Wild party that was. Some drive, just before we even get into the thing, some drive by Verstappen on his home turf. Morning. Morning to you. Yes, it's a fantastic country and the Dutch really know how to party. I thought it was at a disco at one stage yeah. rather than a Dutch Grand Prix. Yeah. You know? Andrea, but Andrea anyway. Roo and, and a big Heineken village. It was an amazing weekend. Yes. But, but yes. Was, was it your fantastic. first time in Amsterdam? Uh, no, I was there years ago, uh, about 20 years ago, but this is the first uh, trip back there. Okay, so you were, observing, you were observing the cycling. My daughter was over in Zandvoort as well. She's never seen so many bikes in yes. her life. That's right. Uh, just a few points there. The first point was that going through immigration in uh, Holland, uh, when we joined the EEC, you, you're old enough to remember, we were promised by the politicians freedom of travel without a passport. Mm. So I think your rights are like muscles. If you don't exercise them, you will lose them. So I asked the guy there, listen, if you don't have a passport, how do you get into this country? Uh, will you take a driver's license? And he said, no. You won't get in with a driver's license. Mm. You need an identity card. Now, I don't really know what that means, the identity card. But anyway, moving on to Holland and their bicycle system, what I observed was that, yeah, in around the cities, it could be a bit dangerous that these cyclists, and they, the law is on their side. Wow. Uh, if, you're walking around, if you're walking around and they hit you, you have a, you're the problem, not them. But they're out on the road, what I could see is that they have dedicated cycle lanes, that there's no cars in with them. So they have, they're going about their business. They look very professional. They're using the bicycles to do their everyday living, bringing children around. And there's e-bikes in there with them as well and scooters and everything. But the cars are separate. Mm. So our aim in Rhine, 
goes out and visits his um, buddies out in there in the EU, and he comes back, and he brings in a law that states that cyclists can cycle two abreast on the main road, and a passing motorist must maintain one meter clearance. That's right. That's right. To, to get by him. That's right. right. So the next thing, anyway, you come along in your car, in around a bend, you're traveling at 60 or 80 kilometers an hour, whatever, on a wet road, and you come across these idiots that are insisting that they're going to travel, because Eamon Ryan said it, two abreast. Yeah. They have all their lycra gear, a- aping cyclists out on the Tour de France, fat <laughs> hanging out of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> You only see them in the summertime. They've never been on a professional race in their lives and they think they're on, the, on Tour de France and that they can take up the whole road and they're a danger to themselves and they're a danger to the motorist. Yeah. Right? But they have the backing of Eamon Ryan who came back after talking to all these green buddies and said, yeah, you want to bring that in an island now where the cyclists are. But there's no infrastructure for the cyclists and they're entitled to it. Yeah. And we've got some oh. new cycle lanes around town, some of them impressive, some of them yeah. less so. Yeah, uh, but, but in, they, in, they come up there. In Amsterdam, yeah, for example, if you take the equivalent of Patrick Street in Amsterdam, yeah. what would be the big difference? Mm. The, the big difference is that these cyclists are going around and you're there as a tourist and you could very easily get hit by them because they they rule the roost. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're is that, walking is that around what you'd looking want at, here, Dennis? Uh, no, uh, you, you're walking around looking up at King, uh, King William or somebody, one of these fellas, and then you get a slap of a bicycle, you know. Yeah. But the thing is, uh, the thing is that out on the main road, they're geared for the cyclists. We are not. They're proper, proper now, lanes, proper designated, and they're they're kind of they're yes. blocked off, so we can't get into them. You can't get into them, and there they have their children on the bicycles with these little, I call them like the butcher boys. Uh, tubs in the front and the whole family's in there they have no lycra gear on they're professional people going about their business mm. in, a, in a safe environment um, another worrying thing that we came across outside there and you know how you were having a debate about cash and cashless and yes. tipping waiters and yeah. all that uh, we see out there now in a lot of the um, shopping centres if you go for a bite to eat not to hotels now they have this thing where you go in, you select on the computer screen what you want to eat, and then they, there's nobody to pay the cash to. There's a machine. Mm. Now, you can either use your credit card or you can pay cash. You have the choice. Mm-hmm. Okay? So now the, the poor waiter is done away with, so there's nobody to tip, and mm. that you don't that, have That's any, happening in right? some of the fast food places already. I think that happens an awful lot in McDonald's and Burger King now. They have machines Does it? replacing yeah. people. Yeah. But in Am terms I, uh, of, come back to yes, the cycling, like, yes, yeah. th- th- there are more cyclists in the Netherlands than there are anywhere else, and of course they have a lovely flat country to do it in as well. But that's correct, yes, in, that's in right. Terms of, and, and in terms of road layout, I think the point you're making, yes. besides all the crack we're having, they know how to do it, and they're doing it properly. They know how to do it, and, they know it pro- and they're doing it properly. And, by the way, as a fella said to me outside there, just to, to put it into perspective, that the only way you'll win against a cyclist if you're a motorist and that you're in collision with one of them is that you'll prove that he was totally paralytic on the, on the push bike and that your car was stopped at the time. Otherwise, he's the winner in any um, yeah. conflict. Yeah, that's that's a whole other discussion, Dennis, but I, I do take your point. Um, yeah, thank you for that. 
just back from Amsterdam, cyclists in Amsterdam, they rule the road, he's right, but they have an infrastructure with which to do it. There's none of this crack about two abreast on the open road and a metre around them and all that. Thank you, Dennis. 0818969696. Let me clear one or two things. The constituency boundaries. Michael says 15, 14 new TDs. That'll cost us about a million between salaries and unvouched expenses. That'd pay for about 250-odd teachers or nurses. And and was it Gary said earlier on this morning, Gary said, OK, so 14 more liars and spongers in the doll. Yeah, not a lot of love in the room for the 14 new TDs that are going to be elected. You can read all about it in your papers or watch it on the telly. It'll all be there forever. 0818 96 96 96. Now, there were big smiles yesterday um, as Zach, young Zach, walked into start school in Mallow with his sister Ellie by his side and his dad, Michael, and his mom, Jessica. And it's a day they once or twice might thought might not have come because Zach has been through the mill over the last few years with his health and a year ago he had a kidney transplant he got his dad's kidney we'll talk about that in a while but first of all Jessica how did he do yesterday was it a good day for him good morning to you good morning yes he had a great first day yesterday really really happy it's been a long adventure to get him there when did you first discovered that he had a bit of trouble with his kidneys? Um, it was very early on. Um, he was three weeks old when we noticed something wasn't quite right. I remember um, it had been a long, hard day with a newborn and uh, I'd realised he hadn't had any wet nappies. And that seemed a bit strange to me. So I, I gave the hospital a call and they asked us to bring, in, bring him in. And it all kind of went from there, really, it, it, all the uh, tests and everything. After hours and hours of tests and us not really getting an update because they were trying to work out what was wrong. The consultant was called in, one of the paediatric consultants, and I remember asking her, you know, is, is this serious? Because, you know, I hadn't seen Zach for a few hours and I was getting really worried. And in my head, I'm thinking, just an infection, nothing to worry about. And I remember her turning to me and saying, this is serious. And I knew then that it wasn't something that was just going to clear up with a bit of meds. Um, and they told us that he needed to go to Temple Street in Dublin. Oh, that's scary. It was very scary. Um, they said to us at the beginning, you know, sometimes the kidneys do just shut down uh, for no reason, and then they start back up again, and it's a case of waiting and monitoring. Um, so Zach was put on emergency dialysis uh, in Temple Street, mm. um, and, you know, he was three weeks old. He was tiny. He'd had two operations at this point. He had caught an infection um, and it went on for quite a while where we just didn't get answers because they didn't have them. The hospital were trying different things, doing different procedures. Um, and then I, I came home after a few weeks because we, we have a daughter as well and um, she was missing her mommy. So I popped back home and when I was here, I got a phone call from Michael in Temple Street saying he's he's starting producing wet nappies again and we were over the moon we thought oh my gosh this is the end you know we're, we're nearly there yeah. and by the time I got back to Dublin he'd stopped again um, and at that point we knew it wasn't the kidneys just choosing not to work properly and um, after a few more scans and tests they told us that one of his kidneys just didn't develop at all and it never would the other kidney just was struggling essentially he had renal failure at only a few weeks old 
He did, yes. Yeah, his kidney, the one surviving kidney, just wouldn't cope for much longer. They they estimated he might make a few years with that kidney, um, uh, but it, the, they said, look, a transplant is, is very soon. He was three when he needed dialysis at home. So for the first three years, we managed with controlling his diet, his fluid intake, and just regular tests. And, and slowly his his test results just kept getting worse and worse. Um, but at the same time, we were trying to get him to a good size for the transplant um, so that he was strong and big enough to take an adult kidney, um, which he was when he was four years old. We managed to get him there. Dialysis at home. I mean, when you're three, a toddler wanting to run around and do things, being tied to this blasted machine for hours on end, must be very stressful, not just for him, but for you too. It was. It was. He would go on it in the evening and he's he's so good. You know, he knew it was time. Um, he would go up to his bedroom and we would connect him to the machine. It's a very sterile environment as well. So you have to be very, very careful because there is always a very high risk of infection. Mm. So he would know not to touch anything and he would be on the machine for 10 hours a night. But that also mean we couldn't really go anywhere. We couldn't take family trips. Holidays were impossible. Yeah. Um, people do travel on dialysis, but when it's a child, there is so much that you need to take with you. We, we didn't we didn't do it. And was this every night, Jessica, or just a couple of nights in the week? Most of the time it was six nights a week, sometimes seven if his blood results really weren't Goodness. very good. Um, so, yeah, it was a long... And it was 15 months, I think, he was on dialysis for. A lot of sleepless <laughs> nights then. <laughs> yeah, um, if something's wrong with the machine, it beeps at you, and that could be at any time of night. Luckily, Zach would always sleep through it. We had that bonus, but we didn't. And we'd have to get up, check the equipment. And sometimes we'd have to ring Dublin and take him up to Temple Street. Now, it was his dad's kidney that he got in the end. How did that come about? A living donor is one thing. Your dad is is another. When did you first hear of that being possible? Um, So we started the process. They warned us it could take, you know, six plus months. And um, they said, look, you two, me and and Michael would be the first two to get tested. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they run some tests and they actually told us we were both a match, which was pretty special. Um, But also really tough because now we had to choose. Um, But Michael did the bravest thing. And I remember he turning to me and saying, look, you've, you've given birth to two of our babies. It's now my turn to do something amazing. And um, he, he stepped up. Yeah. So they both have the operation on the same day, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So on the 3rd of October last year, um, Michael was in Beaumont Hospital in Dublin and Zach was in Temple Street. And um, Michael went into surgery first. And I remember waiting for updates to hear that, you know, everything had gone successfully. Mm-hmm. And then before I knew it, Zach was being called up to theatre. So... I carried him up um, and and sat him on the table and the staff were amazing. You know, they try and make it as normal as possible, which is hard. You know, you're in a sterile theatre room, but they did a great job and he was very relaxed. Mm. And um, the kidney arrived by ambulance and the surgery was a success. It it took a good few hours and I was sat down in his uh, hospital room just waiting for news. And every Mm. couple of hours, one of the consultants would pop in and say, everything's going really well. It's taking a bit longer because of this or this. And and then I was able to see him in the evening up in ICU. Were you able to check how Michael was while all this was going on? Or was, was he awake enough to, to let you know how he was? So, yeah, I did get a phone call. Um, 
I'd say a few hours after he came out of surgery, um, he was very drowsy, but he managed to tell me that, you know, he was out of theatre and he was in recovery. Um, he asked immediately how Zach was, but I wasn't allowed to visit Michael just for risk of infection for both of them. So I had to choose Michael or, or Zach and I just knew that Zach would need me more. How long did it take for the three of you to be able to see each other again? So they gave permission for Michael to visit Zach. Um, I want to say it was about two weeks after the transplant, just before he was allowed to come in all masked up and, and in PPE gear. Right. And um, they were able to see each other. Zach, you know, being five, he, he doesn't really understand. And he was just happy to show Papa his toys. How quickly did he respond to the new kidney? It's a long process because the kidney's taken from an adult. Um, but the kidney started working quite quickly, um, which we were relieved about because there's so many things that can yeah. go wrong. You know, the kidney can be rejected. It can just not wake up. And But luckily, Zach had a really smooth run and he was brought down from ICU, I think, within 48 hours. Nerve-wracking, nerve-wracking. So fast forward to this week. There's a gorgeous photograph. I think Bill Brown has it from the Corkman of yourself and Ellie and Michael and Zach and he has a smile on him that's like a sunrise. <laughs> uh, he's he's quite the poser. Um, it's been, well, the summer disappeared in an instant and before I knew it, I'm, I'm out there buying school uniforms and, and getting things ready for him but he's been counting down the days and his big sister has been very protective saying how she's going to look out for him and play with him in the yard and um, yeah, getting them ready for school, having those photographs, it just kind of makes you realise how lucky we were to to be here today and how lucky Zach was that everything went so well for him. Yeah, like when you're putting the uniform together and organising the school bag and the lunchbox, there must have been a couple of tearful moments, tears of pure joy that this is actually happening now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the feeling is is hard to explain. When you send your child off to school for the first time, you're excited, you're nervous, you're anxious. But with Zach, it, it was something different to know that he'd come through all of that as a small little boy, dialysis, countless operations, blood tests, a new kidney. And I'm now looking at him walk to school like nothing's happened. He it doesn't stop him in any way. Um, he walked straight into that classroom, greeted his teacher and started playing with the toys. It was amazing. That's fantastic. And like I said, the smile, you couldn't bottle that. <laughs> I know. And he has a really infectious laugh as well, which goes with it. So we're very lucky. Tell me a little bit about Ellie, his, his big sister. She's been there for him through all this. She has, yeah. She was only oh, two and a half, I think, when she when he was born. And um, all of a sudden, you know, she lost us. For, we were up in Dublin for nearly two months. And I did pop back a couple of times to see her because she she struggled to understand as, as she would at that age. But um, she's been brilliant. She looks out for him. Um, she's probably a little overprotective at times for his, uh, for his liking. But <laughs> um, it's nice to know that he has her looking out for him. And we're very proud of her. Like, she's been through a lot as well. She's missed out on holidays and all the fun stuff that kids would normally have yeah. at her age. But, uh, yeah, she's now in second class. Well, they go to the same school, yeah? They do, yeah. They're both in the same school, which makes it super handy, and it's a walk away from the house. So, Fantastic. Um, yes. Yeah, it's really lovely to see them. She'll might, that is, it is glorious, isn't it, to see the two of them so happy, so happy together. Okay. So what, what did he enjoy most about his first day? 
Um, when I asked him what he got up to today, he said they just played with all the toys. And I guess, you know, being junior infants, that would be normal for them to settle into. But he was super pleased with the shop. There's a little toy shop there. Like he can play with um, a phone and a little till and pretend that he's a shopkeeper. And he seemed to really enjoy that. <laughs> Let him think for a while that that's what it's all about. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> Definitely. His health now, and of course, dad's health. How are they? Mm. Uh, so dad is doing really well. Um, he has regular checks up at Beaumont, but they say, you know, after the first six weeks, people tend to forget what you've done, but it's hard to forget something like that. And his health has recovered. You know, he's able to do all of the things. He does pay attention to what he's eating and drinking occasionally just to make sure that he's not putting his kidney under any unnecessary pressure. But he's good. And, and Zach as well. Um, there's been a few bumps in the road as you know, there would be with something mm-hmm. so major as this. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's had a couple of infections there, but um, right now he's doing incredibly well. And um, yeah, really, really pleased. You've a lot of gratitude in you, Jessica. I know there's a lot of people that you want to thank for getting it to this moment, not just Michael and the doctors. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. There's been a whole support team around us. Um, my mum, you can probably tell from my accent, I'm from, from the UK. And my mum has flown over and spent months at a time here trying to help us manage everything um, to make sure the kids don't miss out and to take them out. And um, she's been a lifesaver for all of us, um, you know, when we're in hospital as well. And she does a few runs up to Dublin with him for checkups and also, all our friends that have been around, you know, to check in on us. All it takes is a phone call uh, when you're having a bad day and um, the staff at the hospitals, they just make, it's it's tough, but you kind of look back and go, it was actually, you know, an experience. People care so much. I think your, your employers have been really good to you both. They have, yeah. We, we both work for the same company. We met there 11 years ago and they've known us. We've grown up there. Um, we, we met there. We had our first baby there and then Zach and um, they were fantastic. They gave us loads of time and space and support. Do you want to tell me who these wonderful people are? <laughs> um, I suppose they wouldn't mind seeing as I'm singing their praises, but we work for Blizzard Entertainment. Oh, crikey, we know Blizzard very well. They're a great company. They've been fab. Good for that. Now, you're from the UK and Michael's from Strasbourg. So how do you end up living in Cork? Well, yeah, I started working for the company a long time ago in an office um, in France. And I relocated to Ireland because I thought Ireland looked beautiful and I wanted a change. And then Michael started straight here in um, in Ireland. And that's where we met in, in, in the office. Very good. Lastly, you've been greatly helped through this of course by the Kidney Association and Michael's a living donor but you're big promoters as well of the donation programme you you encourage people to become organ donors Absolutely yeah I mean we've seen it first how Zach but also many of the patients we meet up in Dublin the change in them once they've had their transplant is incredible Um, from not eating and feeling nauseous and not growing and to seeing them again a few months later after their the transplant and the, the complete change it's amazing some transformation and you and you've seen it in you, you've seen it in your own wonderful little boy Jessica I really enjoyed our conversation I wish you and Ellie and Zach and Michael all the very best for the future and just just bottle that smile will you <laughs> it's the most glorious thing I've seen all week oh that's very kind thank you so much
Thank, thank you, uh, Jessica. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. You see that picture? Um, oh, listen, Ross got into trouble this morning. You see, he was in London, as you know, and he was stranded, as you know, in all the airport chaos, as you know, and he arrived back in this morning to studio to Lorraine and to Bucks, who sits over there. And he'd forgotten something. Uh, after spending all that time in the airport, Box, have you noticed, not a single Toblerone. Not a single triangular not, piece of chocolate around. Not a Milka to be yeah. seen. If you Very think upsetting. that in all that stressful situation... That I, that's <laughs> Listen, re- you'd enough time in the airport. There is there is an unwritten rule in this show that once you step foot in an airport, Box, what do you have to do? Get a Toblerone. Get a Toblerone. Or yeah. Milka. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll accept yeah. either, you know. That's like going to Tom Hanks after Castaway. Did you get me any <laughs> golden crisps? Lorraine and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96 FM. Back tomorrow at 6, 4,000 euros to be got in the two grand minute. And Lorraine finally meets Cork's favourite bad boy. All will be revealed at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. That's it for today. Programme edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll get all your podcasts up ASAP. And we'll talk to you tomorrow just after 9. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM.